Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keene, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. All right, we're back. Parker's MMA Show, episode 43 now, Billy. We are rocking and rolling. we got a lot to cover. We're going to try to keep it to an hour again, so let's dive right in. Like always, everyone, like, subscribe, share. Do all that good stuff. All right, Billy, we got a lot to cover, so let's do it. So let's start with, um, we're going to start with the previous two cards, and then we're going to preview Whitaker versus Till, which is going down this weekend. Um, we're going to kind of start from the lowest weight classes and work our way up. So, Billy, let's start with the flyweights. We've got the new flyweight king established, Davison Figueredo. And his red streaky hair is for real. What did you think of his performance against Joey B? First of all, shout out producer Joe. The God of War is producer Joe's favorite fighter. So uh, got to give a shout out there. But I think uh, I think that's the most lopsided title fight I've ever seen in my life. I don't, I've never seen yeah. someone so dominant over you know, a, a full round of fighting that way. I mean, we've obviously seen quick knockouts like McGregor Aldo we've seen kind of the dominance of like an Adesanya against Rob Whitaker but I, right. I think uh this was non-competitive and, and almost hard to watch at points especially for the two of us who are big Joe Benavidez fans as anyone who follows the sport uh has been for a long time yeah figure how do you say his last name so I'm not struggling Figueredo Figueredo I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call him God of War, okay? Not to be confused with the Prince of War, Greg Hardy, but the God of War looked fucking fantastic. I mean, he he knocked Joe Joey B down twice officially, really three times, and then when the fight hit the ground, he was just all over him. The dude is super aggressive on the feet, on the floor. He's gonna be a real problem for anyone on the flyweight roster right now. Um, so yeah. That was a dominant, dominant fight. I mean, God of War just buzzsaw Joey V. So uh, for Joey B, is he, in your opinion, where where does he rank on most talented best fighters to never win UFC gold? I don't think he's that high, honestly. I, I like I really like Joe Benavidez. I think he's a really good fighter. Um, to me, he's like Hall of Very Good, right? Like, and I think he's benefited from being just such a nice guy, such a such a you know good with the media and so involved with the sport. For me, my best fighter to never win the UFC title is Dan Henderson. Uh, I think he, you know, what he did in Pride, what he did outside the UFC is is just really amazing. Um, I think Joe B just was a guy who was really good in a pretty shallow division and. You know, 
got a lot of chances and, and came up short every single time he got a chance at the title. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'll always have guys like Dan Henderson, Uriah Faber, um, even like a Nick Diaz, you know, above him for sure. I mean, those guys, the level of competition they fought over their careers just night and day from what Joey B fought. I mean, Joey B, you know, had a good run at, at flyweight. He moved up and fought Dominic Cruz a couple times, you know, lost twice. Then he fought Mighty Mouse twice and lost. And now he's got the two losses to um, Davison Figueroa and sprinkled in there was a loss to Sergio Pettis. So I, I, I agree. I think he's he'll go down as, you know, one of the better, probably smaller weight fighters of all time. But I don't think he breaks the top five or maybe even the top ten of best fighters of all time in the UFC to not win a title. So, um, all right, so what, what's next for Joey Benavides? Do you think he's going to decide to hang it up, or does he keep going, or what's next for him? I hope he hangs it up, man, because I just don't see what's left for him here. You know, you're not going to put that guy in another title shot, and I, I just think he looked very done to me. He looked like a guy where he just doesn't have it anymore. I mean, the chin looks shot. I know Figueredo hits like a truck at that weight class, but... I just don't see it. I don't see what's left for him. I don't see what's left in the tank for him, to be quite honest. And, like, you don't want to end up as a guy like a BJ Penn who you end up tarnishing your legacy because you just get knocked out over and over and over again. Like, nobody wants to see that. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, He had never – I think he'd only been finished maybe once in his career by Mighty Mouse, and then he's got – you know, two back-to-back finishes to the same guy, uh, one knockout, one submission. And, you know, like we said, this fight wasn't even close. So if he wants to hang around, I I don't see him ever getting a title shot again. So if he wants one or two more fights, okay. But outside of this, this is getting in the territory, like you said, of BJ Penn, Chuck Liddell, where, you know, you're at the end of the road. It's time to hang it up, and it just goes south from here. This sport is very, very ruthless, and I'd hate to see that happen to a guy like Joey Benavides because he's, like you said, he's such a nice guy. He's been a company guy. You know, it, it would be sad to see his career end like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping he hangs it up as well. Um, do you see Figueroa being able to, you know, reign as the flyweight champ for a long time, assuming, you know, that King Henry doesn't come back and Cody Garbrandt doesn't? go down the path to, you know, putting together four five, six title defenses looks pretty clear for him at the moment. I, you know, even if Cejudo was to come back or Cody Garbrandt is to drop down, I still think those are both really competitive matchups. I mean, Figueredo is a really complete fighter. His Muay Thai is exceptional. He's got great power. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt. The only place where he struggles is probably the wrestling component, but He's so good off his back that it almost doesn't matter. I could see him like, you know, getting taken down and getting sweeps. I, I think that guy is as complete a fighter as you'll see. I, I think the only thing he's missing is he doesn't speak great English or else that's one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC. Well, but another positive to that is he's Brazilian. So, Bra- you know, Brazil is looking for their next star, their next champion with Anderson Silva, basically at the end of his career. Jose Aldo, towards the end of his career. Um, I really think, and this is my next question, is does he have enough potential to save that division? 
And I'm going to say yes, especially with the Brazilian ties when the world gets back to normal and the UFC can bring him to Brazil to headline cards. I think he could be a really big star. Yeah, I think the question there is like, we've never seen a big UFC star under 145 pounds. Never. So I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if he's the guy to break that mold. I definitely think he could be a guy who hangs around a long time and kind of becomes almost like a mighty mouse of Brazil where the hardcores know how talented he is. And even though he doesn't draw numbers yeah. from casual fans, like he's well-known within the MMA sphere. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so for the God of War, he's now 19-1, and one, undefeated in the UFC. Seems very, very hungry to you know, just keep fighting immediately. I think he's already talking about getting back in there in November. Um, like we said, I mean, I, this is a guy that I think has kind of flown under the radar of a lot of people. But, I mean, the dude's vicious. He comes to finish fights. So what do you think's next for him? I think the fight to make is is if Cody Garbrandt's going to drop down 125 pounds, I think that is an absolute banger. I think Cody Garbrandt has a lot of star power behind him that a win over him for Figueredo could really boost his stock. And then I think he booked like a Brandon Moreno against uh, Askarov, who, who won on this weekend's card, um, in a kind of a number one contender fight and just kind of set that up and keep this going. But I, I think flyweight is honestly really fun right now. Um I thought that that Askarov against Alexander Pantoja fight was really fun. I think if you put Cody Garbrandt in the mix, that's really fun. But I really want to see Cody Garbrandt against Davison Figueredo. I think that's a, a, a banger of a fight. Absolutely. And Garbrandt, to me, at the moment, is kind of out of the title picture you know, for at least another fight. So I think he's really got nothing to lose by going down to 125 right now. You know, it's the... The title's there. He could fight in September, October, November. And, yeah. I mean, and for Garbrandt, too, if he could get that belt, I mean, I think the UFC and everyone wins because he's got huge star potential, but he's just in in there with Sharks right now at 135. So, I, yeah, I think that would be very interesting and very beneficial for everyone to make that fight right now. Um, I just don't see any of these other guys as a huge, you know, standout number one contender right now at 125. So, um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, all right, let's move on to the big card, the big fight island card. Um, Piotr Jan taking on Jose Aldo. Um, for me, this is one of the best fights of the night. I think you and I kind of predicted it would be. Um, but what were your initial thoughts on that fight? I think my goal by the end of this podcast, Parker, is to get you to say Jose Aldo instead of Jose Aldo. Um, but I'm in, I'm in the landscaping business, Billy. Come on, <laughs> got a lot of Jose's in my life. I know, but we're talking Portuguese, not not a uh, Hispanic here. But the uh, okay, I got you. The uh, that fight was the most exciting fight of USC 251, the big pay per view on Fight Island. I mean. I, I thought that was a phenomenal fight. I was, like, on the edge of my seat that entire time. Aldo looked phenomenal. I mean, we talked about it, but he, he came back with the leg kicks with a vengeance. Um, I thought he was really blowing up uh, Jan's lead leg. But then Jan just drowns people with that pressure, right? He forces you up against the cage. He comes straight forward. His boxing just pushes you and pushes you and pushes you. And eventually it just broke Aldo. He just couldn't handle it at, by those later rounds. So I loved watching that fight. I thought 
you know, as far as high-level MMA goes, that's about as exciting as it gets for me. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think that was – did that end up winning fight of the night on that card? Yes. Or no? Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I think it was a huge showcase for Piotr Jan because, I mean, that, that's another guy that a lot of people were kind of sleeping on, you know, thinking that, you know, he hadn't really fought any tough-level competition. And, I mean, Jose, Jose, Jose Aldo right now, to me, it, I think at any given night he can beat anyone in the top five in that division right now, even an aging Jose Aldo. Um, he looked incredible, and I, I think – he solidified himself that he's there to stay at 135 at least for the next couple of years, and he's going to put on a lot of competitive fights with these younger guys. But um, yeah, Jan, you know, he's another guy. He doesn't speak English, but he's very funny. He's good on the mic. He's he's just going to be really tough to beat. He's I don't know who does he remind you of? That that pressure is just like a it's like a Nick Diaz Tony Ferguson pressure where he's just like so calm. He never gets too excited he just marches you down and drowns you over over time and i just think i i agree i think he's going to be very very hard to beat in these five round fights so um yeah great performance by him um for jose aldo what where do you want to see him go from here i want to see the wec super fight i want to see him fight dom cruz i mean Dom was the longtime reigning champ of the wec at 135 jose aldo was the 145 champ Jose seems committed to dropping down to this division and looked phenomenal. I mean, both physically and in the cage looked phenomenal. So I, I'm down to see that fight, like kind of a legacy, you know, two guys who should be Hall of Famers one day. I want to see him go at it. That's a super, super interesting stylistic matchup, too. I, I think that'll be a really fun fight, and you could headline a card with that. But, um yeah, I'm down with that. I like that fight. <clears throat> the second one I had was Cody Garbrandt. I think that I, – I don't know why in my head I think that's just an awesome fight, Cody Garbrandt versus Jose Aldo. Um, so I, I think that's probably the most – the two most realistic fights. You see Dom is in is definitely in the gym, so it's not like he's hanging it up. And I think Jose Aldo's – he wants to get back in there. He I think right now he feels like he he's 100% in – talks of being the best 135 fighter on the planet you know even after all these years so yeah that both of those those are great matchups um for yawn i think you and i both agree the next fight's aljamain sterling it's it's laughable at this point to me that dana white hasn't just come out and said it like i don't think there's a clearer number one contender in any division in the ufc like Aljo has, what, won seven of his last eight. His only loss is to Marlon Marais. He's beaten two of the guys who are currently in the top five at 135. He's coming off a dominant victory over Sandhagen. There's legitimate heat between him and Jan. Jan seems to want the Aljamain Sterling fight. I, I just don't, I don't see why this fight is not already, like, you know, in negotiation, like, this is the only matchup we want. Like, I, I just don't get it. What do you it. think Dana is hold, what What's Dana holding out for? Cody Garbrandt fight? I just don't think Dana likes Aljo, if we're being totally honest. Like, Aljo gets stuffed on the prelims all the time. He's had to just grind and grind and grind to get to the title shot. You know, I, I think, I don't know if it's because Aljo's vocal about fighter pay or he just, you know, isn't a quote-unquote fun fighting style, even though I think that's nonsense. Like... 
I don't. I honestly don't understand. Like, I, I think that is a perfect fight stylistically. I think it does, you know, just as good numbers as anything at 135. I just don't. I honestly don't get it. But you know, here we are, just sitting around waiting for Dana to just say, "Hey, this is the next fight." Yeah. All right. So, um, anything else you want to add from that fight? That was, like we said, that was a big statement for for Jan to a get the belt and then b finish, you know, a legend like Jose Aldo. So, um, all right, let's move on to the next fight. I I thought this was a great fight too, the Alexander Volkanovski versus Max Holloway fight. Um, obviously, the first fight went was hundred percent Volkanovski. He pretty much dominated Max. Max couldn't get going at all. And then the first two rounds of this fight, Max absolutely flips the script and look, you know, like the Max Holloway of old. And then, you know, the pace kind of slowed a little bit. And I, I thought Volk won the last two rounds, you know, handedly. So really the, the round that was up for question was round number three. How did you score the fight? Uh, I, I had it exactly the same way you just described. I had Max winning the first two rounds, clearly. I had Volkanovski winning the last two rounds, clearly. And I have, you know, round three was as close a round as you can score. I, I had it for Max. Um, I've watched the fight twice now. I, I had it for Max both times. I'm not Luke Thomas, who watched it 49 times, apparently. But uh, I, I just think, like, this fight is... Such a perfect example of why scoring in MMA is the problem. It's not judging. Like, that round is so hard to call. Like, if you want to give that a a, a draw, like a 10-10, or give it 10-9 max, or 10-9 Volk, I could see either way. I could see either way. But the fact of the matter is, is like, MMA fights don't work with round-by-round scoring. They don't work with a 10-point must system. Like... The first two rounds were a lot less close than the last two rounds, even though they were clear winners. Like, if we're scoring the fight as a whole, I think Max wins, clearly. Um, But I have no problem with Volkanovski winning based off the scoring criteria that we currently have in MMA. And to me, the problem is with how we score fights in general rather than how we scored this particular fight. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, I you. I think you texted me this. Someone texted me. It was like, hey, there should definitely be more draws in MMA. I mean, this is one that I – it's very, very close. Um, I, I gave the edge to Max. I, I thought he did more damage early, and I gave him round three. He had the two knockdowns that at the end of round one and round two that I, I thought they were the most vicious shots, you know, of the entire fight. So I don't know. It's just it's so hard to judge these fights, and I agree. I, I think eventually they're going to have to change something because we see it on almost every card, and it's not this one is not a robbery, you know. And I, I don't I didn't see a lot of people on social media calling it a robbery. It's just a very very close fight that I think went the wrong way. Um, you know, I see this as pretty similar to how I saw the Yoana Weiling Zhang fight. You know, I thought Yoana edged that fight out. You know, it was very back and forth the whole time, but I don't know, man. It's uh, it's it's kind of shitty for Max because he's at this stage in his career, um, he's going to be kind of thrown back to the wolves, you know, in the top five, 
And I, I don't think he's going to be able to work his way back to that title fight. I think he's going to have to get two good wins in, you know, in that top five. You know, so it's a it's a hard spot to throw Max in, and and for the UFC too. I mean, Max is a big star, and to have him not be able to get his title back and force a trilogy fight, you know, on a very close fight like that's tough. It's just tough for everyone. So, um, what what do you think the UFC is going to do next? Do you think? I I don't know if this has ever been done. Has a trilogy fight ever been booked off of two back to back losses? I don't know about back-to-back, but they've definitely booked trilogy fights where yeah. one guy won the first two. I I really do think Dana's going to book this trilogy. I really think it's going to happen. Immediately? Uh, immediately. I really think so. I, I think Dana feels like Max won that fight. I think he feels like the, the judging is to blame, even though I don't understand how you could possibly say that with how close round three was. But, um, yeah. I really think he thinks that this was a robbery and he's created that narrative in his head and he's going to rebook it. And I also think he loves Max Holloway, which how could you not? So I I think they booked the trilogy, to be honest. I do too. And it's just such a great matchup. And the problem with rematches is just so hard. We saw this in the the Rose versus uh, Jessica fight. Rematches are just so hard in MMA, especially after you have a whole – you know, five round fight with a guy, you know what that guy brings to the table and to try to do that again and not mix something else up, which I think that's kind of what Volkanovsky was. I think that was his game plan. I think Volkanovsky thought he was going to come in and pretty much do the same thing he did in the first fight. And Max just wasn't having it. Um, so I don't know. I, I was looking at the, the top five and there's really fun fights for Max. I just, I don't know. I want to see him get the belt back. So whatever, Whatever is going to be the faster path for Max to get that belt back, because I, I do think he's still the best fighter in the world, um, and he's a top five fighter to me in my eyes at both divisions at one fifty five and one forty five. So I I don't think they're going to book it immediately. I think he's got to have at least one or two fights to just build some steam back, get his confidence back, and get something different. I, I think it's hard, you know, to fight. 10 rounds back-to-back with the same guy. It takes a lot out of you. Look at Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero. You know, you have two tough fights back-to-back like that. It drains a lot from you. So I, I think the UFC, Max Holloway, everyone's going to benefit from a fresh rematch. And I think it'll also, for Volkanovski, it's going to build his reputation, you know, to get a, another win against another killer. If he can knock off Korean Zombie or Brian Ortega and then build up to that trilogy with Max. Because I, I do think, you know, a year from now, that's going to be a huge fight, and I think we're going to get it. I just I, I think they need to wait, let it settle a little bit, and then let it build again organically. So um, Give my guy Volkanovsky a little bit of credit here too, Parker, because he stood in there and he fought a kickboxing fight with Max Holloway, and, you know, he beat him the first time, and I think clearly, and he stood toe-to-toe with him in the rematch, and it was, at the very least, a very, very close fight and probably a fight that we both agree was about a draw. And if Max Holloway is a top-five fighter in two divisions in the UFC right now, like you have to put Volkanovski right there with him because he looked every bit as skillful as Max, every bit as powerful as Max, and he stood in there with him and, and took on Max's best skill. So I don't think Volkanovski is getting the respect he deserves from the, the MMA 
community right now. And I just like to say that guy is one of the best fighters in the world, and it's unquestionable at this point because that first fight was not a fluke. Well, just look at his track record. I mean, he does fly under the radar because I think Max is just a huge fan fan and media favorite. But, I mean, he's knocked off Jose Aldo, then he knocked off Max twice. I mean, that's your two best featherweights of all time right there. And, and back, stop back back. Chad M- Mendez's career. Yeah, yeah, he, he retired yeah. Chad Mendez. I mean, you can't yeah. you can't deny how good this guy is. And the only guy who's yeah. really been able to give him any problems at all is Max Holloway. And it's in one fight where yeah. Volk won dominantly and one fight that was very close. Yeah, so for Max, um, he obviously looked a lot a lot better, much improved in this fight. What, in your mind, did he do better in this fight? He led the fight. I mean, we talked about it in our preview of this, but Max was first to all the exchanges. He led the fight. He led the dance. And he got going early so that Volk couldn't didn't have time to make his reads. Where when Max kind of sat back and was tentative in the first fight, you know, it allowed Volkanovsky the time he needed to kind of read what Max was doing. And you saw it kind of coming to fruition in the later rounds. But in those first two rounds, I mean, Max was picking him apart for, you know, large, large swaths of those rounds. I mean, that's not easy to do. But Max was able to just kind of utilize, lean on his kickboxing and do some really impressive stuff in those first two rounds. Yeah, I think another big thing is he just like flat out did not accept taking damage to the legs. He was just not, he was checking kicks, he was dodging them. He was not, I think he learned a lot from that first fight because that's what, in my mind, Volkanovski did the best in the first fight was completely took out that lead leg and made Max a one-dimensional fighter where, you know, his strength is to constantly switch stances, you know, fight from both stances, and, you know, he puts his combos together incredible. And I, I think Volkanovski limited that. Um, you saw a lot more of that in the early three rounds from Max. And then the one concerning thing for me that it's just not like Max, he... And I don't know, this could be Volkanovski as well, but round four and five, you you just didn't see him put the gas on. I mean, I was like shouting from the couch, like he's got to pick up the pace here or he's going to lose a decision, you know, and that's what actually ended up happening. So, you know, I, I just, I don't know what it is with Max if he's, he fe- felt like he was ahead and didn't need to push the pace or what it was, but I, I just didn't see that next gear you know, after the third round, it was like he was kind of on cruise control. And I don't know if he was trying to stay safe or what it was. But I I mean, I think if he pushed just a little more in either of those rounds, he walks out of there with a the decision. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. Um, so for Max, what's next for Max? Um, in, in my mind, I mean, as I look up and down the rankings, he's He's kind of in a shit position because there's no gigantic fight to make, you know, right away. Um, you're talking kind of the Calvin Caters of the world. Maybe Yair is a beat. He's already fought Ortega. Um, you know, and then you got Korean Zombie. But who who in that top five do you want to see Max fight next? And do you think there's any outside chance that he moves back up to 155? I love the Calvin Cater fight. I think that is really stylistically a great fight. I think Max Holloway can easily carry either 
you know, a main card fight on a pay-per-view or a fight night all by himself against, you know, some bum they picked out of the parking lot. So I think like a Calvin Cater fight is kind of perfect for where he's at in his career right now. But I would not put aside him moving up to 155 and taking, you know, a fight there, whether it's a Poirier rematch. I even think a, a McGregor rematch is like really a dark horse, but it's kind of on the <laughs> That's table. That's where I was going there. <laughs> That's kind of where I was going there. Um, that started popping up on my radar today. I'm like, okay, I could definitely see Max Holloway taking on Conor McGregor at 155 because Conor's kind of backed himself into a corner here where there's not a lot of options right now. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see that on the table. I love the Poirier fight. Um, if we're saying he needs two fights, I, I, I agree with you. I think the Calvin Cater fight is the best fight to make right now in 145 who's got to fight one of those and if they book that fight that could be one of your fight of the years you know candidates right away especially if that's a five-round fight that's going to be chaos those two guys are going to freaking get after it i think max could beat calvin cater and go right back to a title shot i think he could go right back to a title shot especially if if uh volkanovsky loses the belt in his next defense that's not against holloway I think Max beats Cater. He's right back for a title shot. I think he goes and fights Poirier or Conor McGregor. It does not set him up for a 145 title shot, even if it's like technically a bigger fight and draws more eyeballs. Yeah, that, that's what I, what I meant by two fights. Is I, I think he could take a fight at 145 and then go take a fight at 155 and let 145 shake out and then come back down, you know, and walk right back into a title fight. So, um yeah, and for Max Holloway, there's there's no better fight. There's no one takes a loss better than Max Holloway in this sport. He's he's gracious and defeat victory. Max Holloway is a fucking man. And again, still 28 years old, Max Holloway after all of this. So um, yeah, that great fight though. I, I enjoyed that. Um, all right, so for Volkanovski, he's like we said, he's slowly building up a pretty outstanding resume who do you want to see him match up with next i want to see my guy the korean zombie get his shot i mean parker when we did the deep dive i told you that i currently think korean zombie is the best featherweight on the planet i think that guy is on a different level right now i think he's just training out of control I, I just think he is that good and i want to see korean zombie against alexander volkanovsky in Australia, New Zealand, Asia, wherever it is on that side of the world. I, I just think that's a massive fight in that area of the world. And it's two guys who are at the top of the sport in terms of skill skill set. I think they're good everywhere. They're exciting fighting styles. I, that's what I want to see. What do you think? I don't I'm looking. Give me. Okay, let's do this. So play UFC matchmaker here. How, how do you rank... Or how do you match up the top five right now at flyweight or at featherweight? You've got Volkanovski's a champ. Max Holloway is number two. Korean Zombie's number three. You've got Zabit at four. You've got Calvin Cater at five. And then at six, you've got Yair. So here's what I and would And then book. I think we're forgetting about Brian, Brian Ortega, too. Brian Ortega is obviously still in that ball game. Here's what I, here's what I would book right now if I'm a UFC matchmaker, right? Max Holloway against Calvin Cater. Alexander Volkanovsky against the Korean Zombie. 
Zabit mm-hmm. against Yair, and the mm-hmm. winner of Frank or of um. Oh my God! Why am I blanking on this? I would book Ortega. Pedro Munoz. Ortega against well, that's at one thirty-five. I would book Ortega oh, okay. against like a Jeremy Stevens because I think I think Ortega needs a win. Ortega hasn't fought since that Max Holloway fight. I don't think he's. I think that's a really big mistake if the UFC is going to book him against a guy like Korean Zombie, who's just on a tear. And then he goes in and gets starched. Um, I I also think we got to have Yair versus Zabit. That is a fucking awesome matchup. Incredible matchup. So Yair versus Zabit. um, Volkanovski, Korean Zombie. And then, yeah, outside of that, Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett and... um, What's his name would be a fun fight, but Josh Emmett's out for a year. Josh Emmett and Ortega would be a fun fight. I don't want to keep Ortega on the shelf. That's my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta get him rolling. All right. Well, yeah, I I agree with you. I I think Korean Zombie, I'm I'm totally down for him sliding into that championship fight. You know, I I think Volkanovsky will want to get one more in probably before the end of the year. So, um, but overall, great fight. I, I don't. This is one of those fights. Neither guy in my in my mind really loses anything, you know. So, um, all right, let's move on to the main event. We had uh, Jorge Masvidal stepping in on six days' notice against Kamaru Usman. Um, well, I I don't know. I I think I was uh, a little high on the storybook ending and not really living in reality. But I think if we would have thought. Uh, with our brains a little more than thinking with our hearts, this is probably how we would have thought it would have went. I mean, basically, Masvidal goes in there and just has a game plan to give it, you know, 30 to 45 seconds per round to try to knock him out. And if that didn't work, he was going to, you know, submit to basically just getting, you know, rode out, controlled for five rounds. And that's pretty much what happened. I said it in our predictions. I was like, my head says 50-45 decision Usman. My heart says Masvidal knockout, and I'm going with the Masvidal knockout. But, you know, no. and look, uh, people are going to say that, you know, that it's boring, that it's like, you know, not fun. That does not take away from how athletically impressive Kamaru Usman is. I think Kamaru Usman is an incredibly dominant, effective fighter. I think he's an incredible world-class athlete. I think his strategy for this fight was unmatched. It does not mean that I want to watch that for 25 minutes on my TV. And this is someone who loves wrestling, who loves grappling, who regularly watches collegiate wrestling and grappling competitions. But like, Kamaru Usman is just not an exciting fighter. It, it, It doesn't make it less impressive it's not easy to do what he did to Jorge Masvidal, but it's not exciting to watch in an MMA fight. I'm sorry. So was the result of this fight kind of the worst case scenario for the UFC? Obviously, they were they were crunched for time and didn't have a lot of options on the table. But what are your thoughts on you know the after effect of this fight for the UFC? I, I do think this was worst case scenario. It was like, it's a fight that kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You texted me afterwards saying like, you don't even want to think about how bad that main event was. Um, you know, you're one of your biggest stars, certainly your biggest active star 
goes down in kind of dominant fashion. Um, Usman does not do himself any favors on the mic afterwards or in the interviews afterwards in terms of building his own stardom off of a guy who, you know, by beating Jorge Masvidal, you should be building your star. And Usman did nothing of the sort. Um, I, I just he think... basically knocked off the biggest biggest star in the sport, and no one cares. Pretty much, it's just yeah. like on to Gil- on to Gilbert Burns, I guess. I, I just I think that was as bad about as bad, you know, from yeah, uh, you know, in the cage and after as it could have gone for the UFC's business, unfortunately. Which you know, it's no, again no knock to Kamaru Usman, who extremely impressive performance, yeah. but at the end of the day. It's not helping the UFC's bottom line what happened in that cage. Well, I, I think they they had to know that going into that fight that that was, you know, they were gambling on Masvidal to go in there and knock him out. You know, I, I think it's the bottom line. And if he did that, I mean, we're talking about a totally different story. Masvidal's the biggest star in the UFC. You know, he's setting himself up for gigantic pay per views for the rest of you know the next year or so. So. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it was just kind of a buzzkill, honestly. It was a it was a great card from you know start to finish, and then that was just we got blue balls, Billy, in the uh, main event there. <laughs> I was so frustrated the entire time. Um, anyway, so moving on. Obviously, Jorge didn't have a real dedicated training camp. You know, he was originally planning to fight Usman. Negotiations broke down. The UFC went ahead with Burns, and then he steps back in on six days' notice. So um, taking all that into consideration, do you think we see an immediate rematch, or, or or do you think we see a rematch down the road with these two again, and do you see it playing out any differently? I, I think we do get a rematch of these two. Um, I don't think it's immediate. I think they'll take at least one fight, but I think if, you know, if uh, Usman defends his title one more time and Masvidal gets a win in his next fight. You could see a rematch after that. Um, yeah. You know, I think the big difference here, it, it, I don't I don't like the narrative that Jorge had no camp because I don't think that's true at all. I think Jorge took a break from camp um, probably for a couple weeks, maybe up to three weeks there. And yeah. so I, I think his cardio probably wasn't at 100%. It was probably at about 70%. So – yeah, I, I think you you really saw it in kind of the fourth and fifth round where the explosiveness out of Jorge was completely gone. Um, and I don't necessarily know if that changes in the rematch, but I would like to see it yeah. where Jorge has a full, complete camp. And I think really he proved out his stardom. I mean, they're talking about 1.3 million pay-per-view buys estimated. So um, yeah, I think I think the UFC will have no problem paying Jorge Masvidal in the future. Well, and for Jorge, this is a win-win for him. You know, he steps in, probably gets the biggest payday of his career, and really loses no steam. You know, I think they could turn around and book, you know, Conor McGregor. They could book Nate Diaz for him, and it still does gigantic numbers. So um, that leads me to my next question. What What do you think is next for Jorge? I I haven't seen a lot of this, but I love the Leon Edwards fight as essentially a, a number one contender fight. There's a natural storyline there. Um, Leon Edwards is obviously kind of the big loser of the pandemic with losing the Tyron Woodley fight. Um, so I kind of think that's a perfect fight for, for those two guys to, you know, 
basically be a number one contender fight with either Jorge getting a rematch at the or another shot at the title or Leon finally getting his title shot. I think that's perfect. Yeah, I, I think for Jorge, it's it's time for him to kind of decide what he wants to do. Does he want to be a UFC champion or does he want to make a shitload of money? And I think that's going to kind of dictate the course he takes. Because if he wants to be a UFC champion, he's got to go through Colby Covington or Leon Edwards. If he wants to just go out and put on gigantic pay-per-views, you're going to see him fight Conor McGregor. You're going to see him fight Nate Diaz. You know, and, and that that's kind of where I think he's at right now. And I think he could go either way. Um, I think in the long run, if, if he could get that title somehow, that stuff's going to get crazy. You the know? other but one... I, I just... The other one that people aren't really talking about that I would love to see is I want to see the Wonder Boy rematch. I, I, yeah, but I I think A that's a hard fight and B that's not a big money fight for him. So that that's kind of It's bigger than Leon kind Edwards. Of up there with Yeah. Yeah, it would be bigger than Leon Edwards and probably a more winnable fight. But um our boy Sean yeah, Sheehan would I don't be know. happy. I, yes, he would. I I want to see I think it's time for the Nate Diaz rematch. If Connor's not going to fight, I think they could book Nate and Jorge for September, October, and that could be a gigantic fight. You know, you get Nate back into fighting, you let welterweight kind of play out a little bit, and then he jumps back into the title pitcher and maybe fights a guy like Colby or Leon for the number one contender and then gets his rematch against Usman. But, um, Connor's yeah. not Usman, fighting. Usman looked incredible. Parker, Connor's not fighting. He's smoking doobies on the beach, dude. This guy's not fighting anytime soon. Yeah, I don't know. He's really letting me down here. It's not not much of a season he's having. <laughs> so, uh, all right, but again, I mean, we can't take away any any credit from Usman here. Usman looked incredible. Um, I, I compare him most to GSP. He obviously doesn't have the stardom that GSP has, but he has that same style where it's just it's a dominant style, it's a draining style, and it's a winning style. I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna get the job done at the end of the day, you know. So um, yeah, great performance for him. What what do you want for him next? I think you and I kind of both agree on this. I mean, it's gonna be Gilbert Burns, right? I mean, Usman's brand is kind of this next man up mentality. And he's just going to stack title defenses. If I was Usman and I really wanted to build up my star a bit more, I would be banging the drum on UFC Africa. UFC needs to go to Africa, needs to host an event there. I'd be banging the drum on trying to go to Lagos, Nigeria, you know, with a card of Francis and Usman and Adesanya and, you know, just blow the whole thing out because... I think that would be groundbreaking for the sport. I think he would come off as a huge star, and I don't think it would matter if he hugged the guy against the cage for 25 minutes. I think that crowd would go absolutely ballistic to watch him defend his title. So um, that's kind of how I see Usman you know, really boosting himself up is really campaigning for the UFC to go to Africa. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. Um, Thug Rose. Back in action against Jessica Andrade. Um, overall, I, I thought she looked very good. It was a hard fight. Like I said before, rematches are very, very hard in the UFC, especially at the highest levels. But um, how did you think Thug Rose looked in her return? I thought she she kind of started fast, which I didn't expect. Um, 
by the end of that first round, she was piecing up Andrade pretty well. It wasn't nearly as dominant as that first fight with you know before the slam KO, obviously, but. I think she really slowed down towards the end. And I don't know if that was the broken nose or cardio in general, but um, that was my takeaway was started really fast, picked up the timing really fast, and then kind of slowed down towards the end. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the pace was Jessica. I mean, Jessica just pushed the pace and was just fighting a reckless, you know, kind of chaotic fight. Um, for Rose, I thought she looked good. I, I thought that kind of fight was probably – one of the best fights she could come back to to just see exactly where her head's at, you know, with the sport. Rose is a girl that's, you know, half the battle with her is is mental. So to come back and have a hard fight and show that, you know, A, you can survive a fight like that, B, you still got the skills to get it done and win at the very high highest level, I think that was big for her. Um, to me, the she never really got in that flow that she's, you know, kind of famous for with her, you know, the first round against Jessica and then her fights with Joanna. She just never really seemed to get it going. She looked good in spurts. And then the, I, I thought she was just kind of hittable towards the end, you know, the end of round two and then going into round three, she started to take a lot of damage. So that was concerning. But I mean, overall, the bottom line, she got back, she got a win. And I think she sets herself up for a, a gigantic fight in her next fight. So, um, how did you score the fight? I, I think the judges got it right. I, I had a 29-28 yeah. rows. Um, I think the first yeah. and third were pretty clear. The second was close for me, but um, I, I had Rose winning. But, again, kind of like the Zabit-Calvin Cater fight, I think if that goes five rounds, I think Rose is in real trouble. I think she could have lost that if that went five rounds. Yeah, I, I think normally she wouldn't have been. You know, I think she would have paced herself better and been threatening late but that broken nose was nasty and you see her you know the next week she's beat up i think she maybe broke her orbital broke her nose um so yeah that would have been a problem because that that was getting really bad the eye could have closed and i I think if that goes past three rounds that fight maybe gets stopped you know i i don't know if if uh andrage knocks her out or finishes her but I, i think maybe like a doctor stoppage or something like that so um yeah, I mean, but for Rose, like I said, she got back in the win column, um, and she's going to set herself up for a giant fight. So what do you think? Where do you think Jessica Andrade goes from here? I, I actually thought this was a really good showing out of Andrade. I think, you know, in the later round, she showed an ability to close the distance. She obviously has incredible power. Um, I want to see her fight Tatiana Suarez. I think Tatiana Suarez was, for a long time, considered the boogeywoman of strawweight. She hasn't fought in a while. I kind of see that as as almost like a number one contender fight. And I want to see Andrade against Suarez with kind of Suarez taking that step up to fighting the elites at straw weight. Right. Um, no, I agree. I'm down with that. Um, for Rose, you know, I, I think there's only two women for Rose. Um, it's going to be the trilogy with Joanna, or there's going to be a big fight with uh, Weiling Zhang. Um what do you think is going to be next for Rose? Because I'm, for the UFC, I don't think they can go wrong with either of these fights. Both of these fights are huge. I think they're going to book the title. I think it's going to be Wiley Zhang against yeah. Rose Namajunas, especially because I don't know that Joanna uh, is coming back this year. You know, she took a lot of damage in that Zhang fight. I think they will eventually book a rematch between the two of them. But 
I think there could be a Rose Namajunas Wiley Zhang fight in between. Yeah, I agree, and I, I don't know. I just see those three right now for the next couple of years. If Rose will stay in the sport and you know keep her head about her, there's going to be a lot of fun fights with those three. You know, I, I could see those three women fighting each other multiple times over the next couple of years because um, they're just it's so competitive, and they all bring you know different stuff to the table so it's the matchups there at the top are very very interesting but um good win for thug rose she's back um really excited to see her back but all right let's move on to calvin cater versus dan Ige. um what were your thoughts on that fight i i thought this was a really dominant win for calvin cater i'm really high on calvin cater um there were a few a few glimpses from dan Ige in the second round but in general, I, I just think Cater dominated him, and I think Cater was able to just kind of pick his spots and coast to a decision win. Um, I also think Calvin Cater had a broken nose that was not fully healed from the Jeremy Stevens fight, and you kind of saw it where he was clearly having trouble breathing. Um, but I think if he's fully healthy, he KOs Ige and he comes right for him. But I think it showed how good Cater is as a striker because – he was able to kind of sit back and just pick his spots and, and really coast to a decision victory where, except for a couple moments in the second, I never felt like he was in danger. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I Yeah, I can't add anything to that. So, um, yeah, for Ige, where do you think he goes from here? I want to see him rematch Edson Barbosa. I, I think Barbosa <laughs> yeah. was robbed in that fight. I think it was a fun fight regardless, but... I will really want to see that rematch. I really want to see Barbosa get that back. So that's uh, that's where I want to see Ige go next. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down with that. That was a very, very close fight. I think those guys, too, are like 7 and 8 or something. So they match up you know, pretty close close to each other. Um, so I'm down with that. Um, for Calvin Cater, we kind of already talked about it, but I think you and I are both very high on the Max Holloway fight. I just think stylistically that's a very, very fun fight. I mean, that's an action fight. Uh, that's going to be awesome. So, and it's a huge step up in competition for Calvin Cater. So we'll kind of see, you know, is he really for real? Cause the last, the run he's been on, he's looked awesome. <clears throat> he's made, had a, a lot of good action in this, um, Corona virus era. You know, he's one of the guys, you know, up there with like Gilbert Burns that have been very active and, you know, they're making a name for themselves in the division, but stepping up, you know, to fight one of the best featherweights of all time would be a big step up in competition. So I, for me, I want to see Max Holloway. Yeah, and the other fight I'm interested in is I would definitely watch Calvin Cater against Brian Ortega. I I, I see that as like a classic striker versus grappler matchup. You know, I think either of those guys could kind of put themselves right in the title picture if they won that fight. But obviously my number one choice is Max Holloway against Calvin Cater. Well, and then especially if they go ahead and book um, Korean Zombie for the next title shot. I mean, that leaves Brian Ortega to fight one of those guys. So, yeah, I'm down with either one of those matchups. Um, all right, Billy, any other standouts you want to cover from Fight Island? Yeah, I think we're getting into the Billy uh, Billy's Hardcore Minute portion of the podcast, right? Um, this is it, yeah. You want to run through these questions? <clears throat> yeah. So, um, in your mind... Whose who's stock has risen the most in Fight Island? I got to go with Jack Hermanson. I, I think a lot of people kind of discounted him and thought that Kelvin would beat him pretty handily. And, 
you know, he heel hooked Kelvin Gaslam in, you know, a minute and a half. And I think he's one fight away from the title. I want to see Jack Hermanson take on the winner of Yoel Romero and Uriah Hall in kind of a number one contender fight at middleweight. Um, that's really interesting to me. <clears throat> okay, who is who is the Dagestani fighter that trains with Gustafson? That guy is a fucking animal. That guy is one of my favorite fighters from Fight Island. You know, you know who I'm talking about? The guy that just absolutely mauled the the Scottish guy. It was unbelievable. Kamzat Kamzat Chimeev, right? Okay, yeah. So he's he's turning around on ten days' notice to fight again. That that guy's an animal. He's like I think he's a one seventy five one seventy fighter, or is he one eighty five? One seventy. Yeah, he's a welterweight. Okay. Yeah, keep an eye out for that guy this weekend. I I caught his fight. God, he absolutely mauled that guy. He's like a like a more vicious Khabib. It was it was it was pretty impressive to watch. So I, I like that that guy a lot. Um, all right, what was your favorite fight out of the three Fight Island cards so far? I gotta go with Yuri Prohaska against Volkan Ozdemir. I've been banging the drum on Yuri Prohaska for a while now since watching him in Ryzen and. You know, Volkan Ostemir is a former title challenger in that division. Yuri does all kinds of weird stuff that whole fight and then knocks Ostemir out cold. I mean, I'm like, I was like standing in my living room cheering, but Parker's texting me like, oh my God, your guy is unbelievable. Like this is must watch TV. Uh, I, I loved that fight. I, I want to see Yuri keep climbing the ranks at, at light heavyweight because he is so fun to watch, man. He's like... He's got that weird like wushu or karate style and just, you know, unbelievable power puts guys to sleep. Yeah, that was a really, really fun fight. If you haven't seen that fight, definitely go back and watch that. But um, yeah, he he knocked Vulcan Ostemir clean out. You know, I don't, I don't think Vulcan's been knocked out like that in the UFC. But yeah, there was all kinds of craziness in that first round. And then that second round when he caught him, I mean, he put him to sleep. So yeah, that, that guy is someone to keep an eye out on for sure. Um, okay, who is a fighter that you know not a lot of people knew of before these these uh, Fight Island cards that we need to keep an eye out on? I love Rafael Fiziev or Fiziev, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, the the fight against Mark Diacasey was kind of his coming out party. I mean that Matrix move on the head kick where he bends back like Neo dodging the head kick is legendary he's actually fought in max muay thai and done the exact same move so it's like clearly something he practiced and it's just one of these guys that it's like controlled chaos and you think like he's just coming in there to brawl but then you slowly realize from watching him it's so technical he's just making these reads so quickly that it it, i'm i'm really excited to watch him I, i think he's got all the skills to actually make a run at the at the championship belt. So I'm I'm really excited by Rafael Fiziev. Yeah, I like this other guy and I'm gonna butcher his name so bad. Um Moyunar Lazazi. This is the uh Moroccan guy. Yes, this guy was super fun to watch. Um he was fighting the I think is a Nigerian guy that came out Abdul Razik Al Hassan. You like that one, Billy? Um, yeah. 
that guy came that guy came out swinging for the fucking fences and this guy just weathered the storm and then he turned that fight and he was very very fun to watch he's just a incredible striker i think he's a head kickboxing coach maybe or head striking coach at team new uh new Guerra in dubai but um yeah that dude is he's a lot of fun to watch so well al hassan I, I like, too i like that fight a lot al hassan parker you'll remember at uh the woodley till title fight in dallas he's in the dallas. guy who walked out to circle of life and then knocked out the guy in like 19 seconds he's a he's a fortis yeah. guy so little oh, local okay. flavor yeah that that was a really fun fight that was one of my favorite fights from the fight island series but um all right so this weekend we've got a big big fight going down um the middleweight Really, to me, I think this is a middleweight number one contender fight. You've got Darren Till, who's recently moved up from welterweight to fight at middleweight, taking on former title holder Robert Whitaker. Um, this is a great fight. This is one of those fights, Billy, that I can promise you is not going to suck. So in your in your mind, is this the number one contender fight at middleweight right now? No, it's not. I, I think Jared Cannonier is deservedly going to get the next middleweight title shot, no matter who wins this. Um, I think Cannonier has, has proved that he's he's the top guy at middleweight, but it doesn't mean that this isn't an extremely fun fight. I don't know. I, I think both of these guys, either guy with the win has the star power to jump Cannonier. I think Cannonier is also out with a bicep injury, tore his bicep a month or two months ago maybe. So he's going to be out for a stretch here. But, um, yeah, I, I think both of these guys are big, big stars. Obviously, Rob's been to the top. He was champion for a while. Darren Till hasn't got that belt, but he's still, you know, he's a natural-born star, and I think eventually he'll break through. You know, I just I, I don't know when. So I, I think this is definitely your number one contender fight for sure, 100%. Um, all right, so for Rob – you know, I mentioned it previously, but his his last three fights, he came off of 10 rounds, 10 hard rounds with Yoel Romero, um, that he won both of those decisions, retained his belt, and then he got knocked out in front of his home in Australia, right? Was it Australia or New Zealand? Australia. Yeah. So he got knocked out in front of 55,000 people in his home country by Israel Adesanya, lost his belt. And has taken a few, you know, a little bit of time off. What do you expect from Robert Whitaker this weekend in his return? So I really think the Izzy knockout, and Rob has talked about this, is is partially a result of overtraining. I think Rob talked about how hard he would push himself and how he was kind of depressed and all kinds of things related to, to overtraining. So I, I feel like he'll be more measured and more kind of mentally sharp heading into this fight. Um, because I just think his game is so well balanced. He's such a balanced fighter that I really want to see him bounce back from that loss. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I think if anyone in, in the Corona era that needs to fight in front of no crowd, it's Rob Whitaker. You know, I, I think he just went from an extreme high of fighting in front of 55,000 people and getting knocked out viciously you know in his home country you know I, I think he just needs to get in there and fight his game 
Um, you know, Darren Till, you pretty much know what you're going to get with Darren Till. You know, he works everything around that big left hand. He's very similar to Conor McGregor. He'll, he'll disguise it and do a bunch of stuff, but at the end of the day, it's all about that left hand. Uh, Robert Whitaker's got a really weird style, and he's very hard to kind of pinpoint. And Darren Till has struggled against people that blitz him. Like, you know, Woodley blitzed him, hurt him, got him to the ground, and just beat him up. Um, you know, Wonder Boy blitzed him a little bit, gave him trouble. He ended up winning that fight. And then uh, Masvidal, that's how Masvidal knocked him out, was basically blitzed him. Darren Till's moving straight backwards and got knocked out. So, um, I don't know. This is a very, very interesting fight. You know, I, I think this is one of the best striking matchups you can make right now in the UFC between these two guys. I love this, love this matchup. So, um, for Darren Till, obviously he's, he's had one fight up at middleweight, um, where he, he had a decision win against Kelvin Gastelum, Kelvin Gastelum now on a three fight losing streak at middleweight. But, um, where do you think Darren Till's at right now? And where do you think he fits in at this division right now? Look, I think Darren Till is, is definitely a top 10 fighter at middleweight. I, I don't know if he's like a title contender. And I think we have to consider the fact that like Kelvin has now lost three in a row and four of six. Like it, it, it might not be Kelvin might not be the fighter that we thought he was maybe coming off of, you know, kind of wins against close decision win against Jacare knocks out Bisping close decision lost against Izzy and we're all kind of thinking like, okay, Kelvin is clearly a top five guy. And I'm not so sure that that's accurate anymore. And so I'm wondering after seeing Kelvin's most latest performance, like I'm not, I'm not convinced of Till being a super complete fighter or a guy who is undeniably a, a contender at 185. What do you think? I, I mean, striking-wise, yes, I think he's world-class striking. But you saw in the Woodley fight, you know, he got hurt early, got taken down. He couldn't do anything, anything at all. And I, I think Rob, he's just, he's well-rounded. I mean, he's a complete MMA fighter, and he's got the experience. I mean, he's been a title contender. He's fought the best of the best of the last five years at middleweight. You know, he's been there. He's done that. He's still the younger guy. Rob's still, I think Rob's 28 years old and Darren Till's maybe 30. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I see this as a really tough fight for Till, you know, especially he's basically being thrown through the wolves here. So we'll see what he's made of, you know, after, you know, fighting a guy like Rob Whitaker. Cause I can promise you that Rob Whitaker is going to come back. He's going to be hungry and he's going to want to get that belt back. So, um, you think there's any chance we see Rob try to get this fight to the ground? Like I said, you know, we've previously seen till struggle when it does get taken to the ground. And I, I think it's a pretty, Solid game plan for Rob to try to mix up the striking and then get him to the ground somehow. You know, I, I think Rob Whitaker does have a very underrated ground game. I think he's a very well-rounded yeah. fighter. He has good jiu-jitsu. He has good wrestling. Um, he hasn't attempted a takedown since 2015 in the UFC. Uh, but he's fought against guys like Romero and Uriah Hall. Or in, uh, oh, Uriah Hall and... Jacare and Derek Brunson, who are all kind of 
wrestlers and jujitsu specialists, and it makes sense why he would keep the fight on the feet. I would go back to the Uriah Hall fight in 2015. I think this is going to go very similarly. And I, I think Rob has kind of developed as a fighter since then. But that's kind of the, the blueprint or the template that I see for how this fight is going to go. Yeah, so uh, for Darren Till, if he can get a win here against a former middleweight champion of the world, Robert Whitaker, what does this do for his stardom? Because I, in, in my opinion, I think Darren Till's a guy that's He's been very, very close on multiple occasions from you know to becoming a gigantic superstar. He's got everything, you know. He's he was compared a lot to Conor McGregor kind of on his rise. But if he can get a win here and a you know maybe a knockout or devastating win against former champ Rob Whitaker, what do you think that does for his stardom? Maybe I'm underrating uh, Darren Till as a star, but I just, I see him as more of a regional star, like kind of like a Michael Bisping where this, I think he could be really big in the UK. I think he could have a lot of following in Liverpool, but I just don't see him making waves on the international stage the way a McGregor does or a Masvidal does, or really even like an Israel Adesanya. I just don't think he appeals on that level, but you know, he's a, he's a really fun guy on social media. I think he's a fun character to have in the UFC. I just, I, I don't see him as that kind of international star where I think when he was coming up, they were so desperate for the next big British star that they really pushed him. And, and he's, he's just, I don't see the it factor with him. I do. I I see it in him. Like uh, he's definitely got that it factor. That if he can get past the elite competition at either weight class, he can become a big star. I think. You know. I I think he's just he's one of these guys who's just like super genuine, super real. He's like you know kind of like a Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal figure, and then he's got kind of that confidence like Sugar Sean or Conor McGregor. But I I I think he's got to have the skills too. Like I'm not. I'm not seeing the skills that are going to take him to being a world champion right now at either weight class. You know, I, I think if he goes back down to 170, he gets ragdolled by Usman, you know, and I think at 185, you know, I think him versus Israel Adesanya is a fun matchup, but I think Israel Adesanya kind of picks him apart. He's got a lot more tools when it comes in the striking department. Darren Till's basically got basic Muay Thai that he's, you know, mastered in that devastating left hand. So I just, I, I kind of agree with you. I just don't think he's as well-rounded as a fighter as what it's going to take to become a champion. So um, it'll be interesting. But um, all right. So what's your prediction? I have Rob Whitaker by decision. I think Darren is an extremely tough guy. I think he'll have moments in this fight. I think he'll he'll catch Rob on with some good strikes. Um, but I just think Rob Whitaker is too well-rounded a fighter. I could see Rob, especially, you know, in the in the later rounds, you know, getting a takedown, being able to pass guard and, and get to, you know, side control or even a mount position. Um, I, I just, I think he's going to win by decision. I, that's kind of how I see it going. And I, and I think it's going to be a lopsided decision as well. I, I see this as a close fight. I think both guys are going to come out fast. Um you know, I think the first one, two to three rounds are going to be close. They're kind of going to be back and forth. Like you say, I think Darren Till will have his moments. You know, he will he might land a big shot. But I think Rob is just 
there's too much to his game for Darren Till to to figure out. You know, and I I think Rob, I see it going down. I think Rob will get him kind of worn down, and maybe he gets a trip or takes Darren Till down, and then gets the finish maybe on the ground, like a ground and pound fourth round finish. Um, but I I think Rob's going to be coming out looking to make a statement because I think after his loss to Israel, a lot of people wrote him off and I, I still think he's one of the best fighters in the world. He's just, he's got it all and he's still a young guy with a lot of experience and a, and a long way to go too. I think he's got a lot more in the tank. So I'm going to go Rob Whitaker. I'm going to go fourth round. I'm going to say knockout or TKO fourth round. Yeah, I think I agree with you that if Rob Whitaker still has a chin, I mean, skill-wise, he's, I would say, one of the 15 best pound-for-pound fighters in the sport. I mean, I can't think of any guy above 145 with a more balanced game than Rob Whitaker. And I think that is super underrated in this sport of how good he is at all aspects of the game. So I, I'm I'm almost rooting for Rob here just because I think he's such a, an incredible talent in the sport. Yeah, I think Rob is always the guy that I worry about. You know, I, I'm i not necessarily saying that he's chinny right now, but I, I just think he had – I mean, he had a hard road to get to that title fight, you know, to get that title. And then those fights with Yoel Romero, those take a lot out of you. You know, back-to-back fights with Yoel Romero, the biggest freak of nature in the sport. I mean, that just – drains you physically mentally that takes a lot out of you and then you know you get starched in front of your home country so i i'm i'm pretty confident where rob's at right now he seems like he's saying all the right things he's in the right headspace and i agree with you i I think a focused healthy robert whitaker is very very dangerous and for sure a top 15 fighter in the world still so um all right we're on the same page there billy all right one more question for you Shout shouting out to the beginning of the episode, but you want to talk about a guy who's one of the best fighters to not win the UFC title. I think Yoel Romero is in the top five of that list. Yeah, yeah, you got to put him maybe at four or five for sure. So, um, all right, my last question for you. Um, this this card's obviously got some other fun fights. You've got um, Shogun and Big Nog. Little Nog. Little Nog, sorry. And they're a trilogy fight, right? Go watch that old fight from Pride this week if you want to get ready for this card because I don't anticipate yeah. this trilogy fight being all that good with these two old Brazilian guys, but that first fight yeah. is a barn burner. How long ago was that? That had to be in the 15 early 2000s. Years ago. Yeah? That's so crazy. Um, yeah, so that's on the card. And then um, which what other fights outside of the main event are you excited for? I really like your guy, Kamzat Chimiev, uh, who has lived on Fight Island for the past week, going up against, uh, I believe it's Reese McKee, who is now the only active Irish UFC fighter now that McGregor and uh, Joe Duffy are retired. Uh, so McKee is a is guy he an who, SPG guy? I, I don't think he's out of SPG, but he's a guy that, our Irish correspondent Sean Sheehan is very high on, so I'm uh, I'm excited to to see that fight. Yeah, um, for me, Alexander Gustafson coming back um, at heavyweight too. So, you know, Gustafson's a guy that light heavyweight. Him and DC are kind of 
those two guys that are 1A, 1B behind John Jones. You know, they just couldn't get over the hump and beat John Jones to become the champion. Um, the addition to him up at heavyweight is very, very interesting to me. He's a guy that, you know, I think his speed, his movement is really going to carry to heavyweight. And I want to see how he fills in because he's a big dude. I, I think he's like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's a big guy. He's definitely got that Viking blood in him. But um, he seems to be focused and ready to make a comeback and, you know, says he's got a lot of fight left in him. And I think if he can get one or two wins at heavyweight, he's right up there in the heavyweight title contention, you know? So, um, very exciting. That's kind of flying under the radar, but Gustafson's, you know, one of my favorite fighters and it's going to be really good to see him back this week. Yeah. Should be a fun one. I'm excited for this card. All right, Billy, any closing words? We went a little over hour, hour and 10, but we're getting better. You know, man, I think, uh, I think it'll be interesting, you know, over the next couple months with kind of the return of, you know, your traditional stick and ball sports and seeing, seeing where the UFC shakes out, but, uh, you know, some fun fight Island cards, a fun one coming up this weekend. And, you know, again, everybody should go back and watch that first, uh, Lil Nog against Shogun fight from pride, because that is a. That is as fun as fights get. Also, Bellator back in action this week. We forgot to talk about that. Oh, shout out Cass Bell. Yeah, our boy Cass Bell is on the card. Um, Who else is on that card? Sergio Pettis against Ricky Bandejas in the main event. Aaron Pico coming back. I mean, that's a fun card. That's a fun card. A little appetizer Friday night before we head back to uh, Fight Island. Absolutely. So, yeah, Bellator's back. Everything's getting back to normal, Billy. We're getting there week by week, week by week. All right, everybody. So we had a lot covered there, but as always, we appreciate you tuning in, checking it out, sharing it, all that good stuff. We'll keep bringing the action. We'll be back next week to break down this weekend's card. Billy, any closing words from you? Wear a mask. Everyone wear a mask. Corona sucks. I witnessed it firsthand. It's not fun. Wear a mask. Everyone wear a mask. We'll make some Parker's MMA mask. Pass them out. (laughs) All right. We'll see everyone next week. Have a good weekend. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.